I almost didn't get my banana out of the way fast enough for that. I'm eating a banana. I desperately need sustenance. Okay. Potassium. For stamina. Potassium for stamina is very important. Mm-hmm. I've heard you need a lot of stamina. It's true. Yeah. I, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I've got like six Mr. projects happening. Yeah. Oh, that was a sex thing. I get oh, it now. Projects, yeah. <laughs> oh, I bet you're working on a lot of oh, projects. Oh, I get it now. Oh, oh you will. Oh, oh, I'm working on like six of them at once. Yeah. Yeah. Say more things. Uh, <laughs> Breath of the Wild. <laughs> I mean, you'll be breathing wildly. Yeah. Oh, I'll breathe on your wild. Oh, fucking hell. I'm lonely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And there will be another great skit yeah. from. I can't even be fucked, I think, of names. But there'll be more of that. No, probably not. Yeah, these are going to be great recurring characters. <laughs> I mean, I'm very happy for <laughs> to be a recurring character. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else there is to it, but I enjoy a good... <laughs> oh, yeah, who doesn't? Well, I'd, I'd certainly be glad to reprise... <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like some sort of erotic horse. <laughs> Nay! Don't say erotic horse on the internet. You know better. Uh, of course, I never say nay. All aboard! Oh. Hey, I'm oh, I want say sex. Nay. I want sex, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Please, just once. Just so I know. Someone would have just, like, just touch it. <laughs> but, but no, no, no. Ah, before we get into this week's episode, I'm doing that thing where I hijack the start of the show because I've got a thing to promote. I mean, it's pretty fucking hijacked. Go right ahead. I'm promoting a fucking thing. Do it. I'm writing a novel. One of them fiction books, a story, a a narrative. That's the thing I'm doing. I'm not just doing it alone. I'm doing it with my wife, Jane, who was on Podquisition a couple of weeks ago. We're, We're writing a book about the very, very, very fictional, definitely fictional, Goings on in the video game industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Who Hunts the Whale, and it is set in a fictional, definitely fictional, definitely not based on anything, fictional video game company, one of those big AAAs that pumps out their big releases full of microtransactions every year. And it is a year of storytelling through this very, very, very terrible company that maybe you might read and go, hey, I wonder if any of this, you know, fictional story might apply to the real world, perhaps. So yeah, it's called Who Wants the Whale? We've been writing it together for many, many months. Uh, We've nearly finished our first draft and we're real happy with it. You can pre-order it on Unbound. If you search Unbound, Who Hunts the Whale? You can pre-order a copy now. Do that. I'm real proud of this fucking book. Yeah, so you should be. Another book from Laura. Get on it, you fucking... Bunch of creedles. Yeah. Hey, any of you that listen to this and are like, hey, the video game industry is kind of fucking terrible and maybe we should we should look at that, but through a sort of dark comedy satirical lens that maybe is a little close to home in places, but it's important that it be. This, I feel like if you listen to Podquisition, you'll enjoy this book. I think this is a book for you. 
Podquisition listener. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, I, as I said on Jimquisition, which you were on... I was on it this week! You know, it's it's pertinent to certainly my audience, the subject matter. It is certainly a book designed for people who very, very, very much dislike the existence of um, corporate capitalists that have turned video games from an art form into a exercise in squeezing money out of the least fortunate while overworking their employees in terrible ways. It might be relevant to your interests, mayhaps. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it sounds a little far-fetched. <laughs> oh, I know. I, well, I mean... For legal reasons, I do have to insist many, many times this is an entirely fictional story. It's set in fiction. a world. It is know. set in a world, you know, any similarities to our own real world and certain companies that might come to mind are purely coincidental yeah. and in no way uh, deliberate. Set in the year 20XX. Yeah, the year 20XX on the planet Blurth. It's sort of like Earth, but not quite. Capitalism bad. Mm-hmm. There you go. I'm I'm done shilling. How how are you both doing now? I've I've done shill corner. I'm all right. I'm adjusting back to life in America where there aren't um, any chippies. Oh no! How dare! I want some chippy fish. You want some chippy fish? You want some 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 of that good crispy batter? That slightly greasy but still crispy shit? Yeah, like just made with secrets because only chippies know how to do chippy chips. You miss the good chips. I miss some things, and I miss people. I miss people too! Yeah. You're good people! Yeah, that's right. Hang out again in a minute. Yeah, might might do so in the not-too-distant future. Who knows, mayhaps? Question mark. Who knows what could happen? I'm sure it will be professional. Entirely professional business, business, business. Yeah. Who Hunts the Whale? Who Hunts the Whale? That's a book about professional business right there. Uh Uh-huh. Who's played a video game? I mean, I've played loads. Tell us about some of the ones what you've played then, I guess. We've played the same one. We've played some of the same one, yeah. We've played Kenna. Mmm. Yeah. You talked about it last week. Yeah, I was really not feeling it last week. I've warmed up a lot on it. Yeah, I, I I went in with expectations lowered by last week and found myself... I'm I'm quite liking it. I'm liking it quite a bit. It's got a very sort of GameCube-era action-adventure feel to it, which I like. Yeah. Because you don't get many games like that. You don't get many games that look like this. Like, I think it's a very pretty-looking game. And I really like the visual design on it. Makes me think of like uh, to draw more comparisons, Margin and the Forsaken Kingdom. Mm, yeah, has that, but with a little more of the GameCube era mascot sheen on it. Yeah, I like it quite a bit. I I don't know whether it's because I kept playing or because I took most of a week off and came back to it with better set expectations. I'm having a better time with it. Yeah, like the opening couple of hours mechanically, I was having just like a. <laughs> time with. I feel very similarly to how I felt about going back and revisiting Mass Effect Andromeda. Going back in with the right expectations, I'm having a better time than my first impressions. Yeah. You know, the puzzle stuff is simple, controlling the little the little creatures. You know, it's not that exciting. I mean, yeah. I wasn't expecting anything as promising as as all that. So, I'm okay with it. It's just a little... You know, it's it's a little. Fl- it's not so much 
a game-changing mechanic, but it just adds a little flavour to it. Yeah, that's, that's fair enough. But um, yeah, I'm probably going to stick through it and finish it. Like, I, I'm i not as against it as I was. And I'm still probably not going to be like, ah, oh, game of the year material, I have to go tell everyone to go play it. But like, I'm having a, I'm having a good enough time now. Yeah. That's that, then. That's that. Conrad, what have you been playing this week? Uh, well, I, uh, I played a bit more of that Flynn Son of Crimson. Oh, yeah? Did you get on the dog? I got on the dog. Oh. That's, that's really what I have to report here. I did get on that dog. Nice. Does it feel good being on the dog? It feels real good being on the dog. Oh, hell uh, yeah. The dog tears shit up. Hell yeah. The dog real good. Real like that dog. Dog very good. I mean, like... You can't put the dog on the cover like that if the dog isn't going to be really fucking cool. Yep, and the dog's real fucking cool. Um, and by when when you get the dog, they give you a healthy amount of time with the dog before you know you reach areas that you're not on the dog for a bit. Uh, so there's a pretty good balance there. It feels like I mm-hmm. I, I I always get excited to see the dog, <laughs> but I don't necessarily have a problem with the portions that I'm not on the dog. Right. You know, it doesn't have to be an entirely dog-focused adventure going forward. Right amount of dog. Good amount of dog. Hell yeah. Good amount of dog. Yeah, no, it's still fun, although I, I'm i already distracted by other things. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, but that's just, that's how I be. So we'll see if I get back to it and finish it, but I, I have really, really enjoyed my time with it. And it's, it's a <laughs> delightful, old-school type of uh, action platformer. Nice. Yeah. Uh, getting quick stuff out of the way. I did Delta Rune Chapter Two. I've played like I've actually properly played it now. I'm still part. I'm part way through it, but I've got started on it. Yeah. Yeah. I really like Chapter Two. I think that there is a very clear step up in a lot of quality of life stuff that's really helped. Without going into spoilery things, I'll say having, for example, just a storage box that if you pick up an item and don't have space for it, it goes to the storage and you can grab it from any save point. Stuff like that is really nice for just making this feel a bit more playable, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. I like some of the basic tweaks in Chapter 2 to the way that they handle non-violent confrontations, uh, the main thing being... Rather than a yes or no, did you do the correct thing? Okay, they're perfectly ready to spare. Or having a multi-step process where you don't know how far along you are. There's a percentage system and it gives you a sense of, oh, am I doing something that is progressing me? And that's helped me to have a better sense of, like, am I doing the right thing in combat? Which has helped. I very much enjoyed the characters and setting of Chapter 2. It's been real... It's been real fun. Mm-hmm. I very much like Chapter 2's um, antagonist. Yes. It's very yes. fun. Yes. Um, I've encountered the antagonist. I am suitably impressed. But yeah, uh, Chapter 2, really enjoying it. I have one thing I want to talk about, though. Mm. And this is just like a little bit of a side thing. I I streamed Chapter 2 of Deltarune. I streamed my first playthrough, part because... I had a real busy couple of weeks with work and wasn't going to get a chance to play it otherwise, probably. And because a bunch of people had asked me, they were like, hey, I'd really like to see your first experience through of, of Delta Room Chapter 2. And I was like, yeah, sure. Cool. We'll do that. Despite having no spoilers and no back seating, prominently on screen, on my stream title, mentioned in chat... I cannot stream Toby Fox games as a first playthrough of them because people cannot resist the fucking urge to just, no matter how much you try and make it clear you don't want it, tell you shit that's going to happen, tell you how to do shit. 
staying spoiler-free, there is a very big optional thing you can do in Chapter 2 that I got told that it existed, what it, what the fan community had called it, which gave me like very clear ideas of probably how it was activated or where it was. They insisted on me making up an extra save point somewhere, and I was like, okay, that confirms that's where that thing that is meant to be a complete secret I'm not meant to know about starts. The final boss of Chapter 2, I was ten seconds into it, and someone spoiled the gimmick of the boss fight, and I'm just like, I... <sighs> Remember last week? Yeah. When we were talking about Deltarune? Yeah. And I said that I don't engage with Undertale-related content any longer. <laughs> yes. And... I think that there were some people, and I saw this reflected in comments, that thought that I didn't like Undertale or mm. that, you know, thought it was bad or that something maybe untoward or weird had happened Undertale related. And that was why some people were hesitant to engage with Undertale. No, this is why. And here's the thing. I know this is a thing. I know this has been a thing since Undertale. I... I know that people don't stream their first experience of Undertale because they will get backseated. I was foolish and was like, I'm sure if I make it clear enough, my little community will be good about it. And uh, and I understand where it comes from. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I like, I can't even, I, it's not even something that I'm going to like ever dispute or argue against. It's a personal passion for something yeah. on a level that I just, it's not worth it for me. Yeah. But my, the point I want to make and the thing I want to like say to people is, hey, people who really fucking love Undertale and desperately want, if you desperately want your favorite streamer to stream on uh, Undertale or Deltarune, and you want to see their first experiences, and you ask them for that, you need to let them just have their experience and not tell them if they're doing it right or wrong and let them play it, because otherwise they're not going to want to come back and do more of it. You are hamstringing the likelihood of you getting the content you want if you do that. And I know you're excited, but it's okay if someone doesn't find that one cute bit of dialogue on their first playthrough. It's fine. <sighs> I didn't even play it. Yeah. But I saw this happen. Not not to you. I saw it happen to Linda. Yeah. On my stream. I got told during my stream about people would tell me things and then go, oh, I made sure to tell that to Linda as well. Yeah. Oh, you know, uh, she she was playing it on the stream and, you know, and, and what they what they said wasn't so much an acknowledgement of what it was, only the acknowledgement that something was coming. And here's the point at which. You need to be prepared to do something about that. And, it, you know, yes, that's very vague. And I don't personally necessarily have a problem with that. And I know going in to, to a Toby Fox game that those things are going to exist. I, I get why people are trying to be helpful, but I don't need to know where. <laughs> yeah, I don't need to know where. I don't need to know what it's called because the fucking name of it just that I don't gives know. away a huge amount of what it's... Oh, uh, no, the, yeah. I'm yeah, good. The name, the, the name really fucking gave it away. But even if they just told me where it was, apparently, I've since been told, it took the community about four days to discover that this was even a thing. Can you give me, like, a couple of hours to miss it and go, oh, I'm curious if there was something I could have done different. Like, if something takes the community days to discover, you don't have to tell me up front that it's there. <sighs> this is uh, also an aspect, an element of From Software games. Oh, God, yeah. You know? 
Like, that's another one that, I mean, even if I had the patience to play them, which I simply don't, I certainly wouldn't play them for an audience. The only times I have streamed Demon Souls, I streamed Dark Souls 3, is games that I've already played and I know well enough to be like, I'm going to push back if you try and tell me what to do. Yeah. Yeah, fuck playing anything spoilable on Twitch. No, here's the thing. I've played so much stuff that is spoilable, and everyone's always been real fucking chill about it. It's only Toby Fox stuff I have ever had a problem with. People just want to show off that they know. Toby Fox game fans have really specific opinions about the correct way to play those games, when the whole point of them is that there's a lot of uncertainty about the right way to play them, and discovering that is the whole point. Yeah, and I want to push back at the idea that they just want to show that they know, because I don't I don't think that's really it. I think it's that they want you to know. They want you to have that experience. So it's so important to them that you get to see the thing that they saw, not that they saw it and can show it to you. Yeah. They don't want to see your first experience. They want to see their first experience via you. And... uh... You see, I do that with, like, really shitty films that I want people to look at, like the one starring Dean Cain and The Big Show. But I enjoy that mostly because I keep my fucking mouth shut. I just... Look at them wide-eyed. Yeah. Watching them while I eat, which is somehow creepier than watching someone else eat. (laughs) So, that being said, really love Deltarune Chapter 2. If I stream further Deltarune Chapters, I'm either going to play them off-stream before I stream them, or I'm going to stream them the second they go live so people don't know the spoilers yet. Nice one. Or, like, I'll find some way to do it, because I'm not... I'm not doing a blind playthrough in my own time on Twitch of anything Toby Fox after this. It's just... And the other side of that, too, is that then if you're one of the first people streaming it, chances are people aren't going to watch it. Yeah. Because they want to have their first experience with the content on their own. So the very same people that you're trying to avoid... Causing the problem by playing at first aren't going to be part of your audience. You can't win. I know they won't, but also, like, fuck it. For anyone, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to... how to Because his... Yeah. I very much enjoy those games, and they make for a really fun streaming experience when people aren't backseating or spoiling. Because, like, there is so (laughs) much... When does that not happen? There is... I mean, I did go, at times, several hours without anything before a big wave of it happened, but, like... There is a lot of, like, fun, weird, unexpected stuff that makes a really fun chat interaction. Like, it's a game that I want to be able to enjoy with chat. Mm. There's no winning. It's the internet. Yeah. You can't win. Run. Run away. Deltarune Chapter 2 is good. Who else has played something else? (laughs) I played Deltarune. (laughs) Yeah! How are you feeling about Deltarune now I've gone on a big tangent? (laughs) I like it. It's funny. And very charming. I played through chapter one again first. I couldn't mm. remember a fucking thing. It came out ages ago. I did the same before chapter two. I was like, eh, it's been like three years. I, there's a lot I've probably forgotten. Yeah, I really like the the antagonist. I like the world it's set in. Mm. I like the the differences in environment from the first one. There's um gives it its own very unique feel. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I like it a lot. I like it a lot. I play Deathloop as well. How's Deathloop? I haven't gotten around to trying it yet. Yeah, it's a weird, like, it's really light roguelike. 
really light Dark Soulsy, really light Hitman, all mixed together and with a dishonored feel. It's interesting. It takes place over the course of a day, split up into like time periods like morning and afternoon and stuff. And if you die, you start again from the beginning like a roguelike. Each loop uh, resets everyone to where they were. So it, it's like Dark Souls and you can like go back and collect stuff if you die a couple times within a mission. And uh, the idea is to assassinate uh, a bunch of people within a single loop, within a single day before it resets. Hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of investigating and finding out like the optimum time to get people. And it's it's possible, and, and honestly, it's what I've ended up doing most of the time, to just run in all guns blazing and just blasting uh, your target. Um, but there are more subtle ways to do it as well. Um, you get a couple powers as you um, fight. Um, people like the the main targets and get these power ups from them. When you die, obviously you lose everything. But what you get to a point in the game where you can save stuff, which yeah, really makes it not a very challenging game. No matter what my performance on stream this past week will have you believe. God, I fucked it up for the whole stream because generally it's it's fairly easy. Uh, if you have like high level weapons, um, which you get not, it doesn't take you too long. The thing that really fucks you up is if you play it online, you can be invaded by another player who is playing the main uh, antagonist, the, the character who pursues you through the campaign. They can take over them and invade at any point during a loop. And... I turned it off because it's really just annoying and gets in the way. So the the idea of being invaded by players is always a an interesting idea, but it often just gets in the way and becomes more annoying than like tense or, or scary or anything. I could see something like that being fun if the other player that was trying to get you was like doing things that weren't going to be instant kills that were like, oh, they were setting up and masterminding stuff like that. It seems like it would be really frustrating if you were having a good run and a player who's just very good at shooting shot you in the head from a distance and like, oops, I guess I guess that's done. Yeah, just like sudden PvP is not what I want when I'm trying to play a video game. Yeah. So yeah, it was. I did it for a bit because it is always a, an interesting gimmick, but eventually it just felt more and more like an interruption rather than an addition to the gameplay. It's got a fun story. The enemy AI is terrible, but it's been justified by the fact that everyone is basically a sort of firefest kind of attendee uh, who's just gotten uh, fucked up and access to guns and everything because basically there are no consequences. So that's pretty fun. The dialogue between the protagonist and antagonist is really good. They play off each other really well. So, yeah, it's... I'm not as into it as a lot of people are it's it's not quite holding my attention but it, it's hard for me to want to get into it but when i do like i can spend quite a bit of time in it until i'm like right i am immediately i've had enough for now yeah it's it's pretty good yeah pretty good uh conrad what have you been playing this week uh well there's a i got into another roguelike this week okay yeah this uh it's called uh um uh, dandy ace 
Okay. This came out on Steam back in March, I think, but it just hit consoles this week. And uh, is it's on Game Pass, which is yeah. why I'm playing it. And it bears a lot of similarities to Hades and the action. Yeah. It has some really good mechanics and some fantastic quality of life improvements that I'm just really impressed that they thought of things, little things that are just nice conveniences. I'll give you an example. The um, map, mm. the maps are dungeon levels with, um, you know, they're, they're flat planes that you run across, similar to Hades, but instead of the rooms being individually locked off, they're on one connected plane and you could pass back between them. It does mm -hmm. have a fast travel system uh, where there are portals that allow you to jump around to various places of the map you've already visited. What's great about these fast travel portals is that you can use them to go to objects on the map, not merely other portals. So if you left food behind in another room that you want to go collect, oh. warp right to it. You change your mind about a power-up that you left behind in another room, warp back to it. That's really neat. It's pretty cool. Another quality of life adjustment relates to one of the less great things about this game. Because like I, I, I really don't want to draw too many comparisons to Hades. But there are uh, some things presentation-wise that are similar as well, such as uh, the characters and the dialogue presentation. Everything's fully voiced. It's not voiced well. Oh, no. It's all very stiff. At best, it's stiff. At worst, it's kind of annoying. Um, and it has one of those evil villain characters who taunts you throughout the play. And he sucks. And he's, he's written, I uh, just like, I, I, I get angry whenever he speaks because the puns are, I mean, I, I know they know they're bad, but if they're this bad, why are you writing them? Why are you making these? And, and they're meme related. Some of them are meme related jokes that are going to oh, age no. terribly and or, or have already aged so terribly and and part of the point is that yes this character is is just does, does not bring joy to anyone and that they are making bad jo and i but it's so painful but you can adjust the frequency with which that character speaks <laughs> in the settings Wow, they really did know. I can't discern a whole lot of difference between high frequency and low frequency because the instant I start hearing it more than twice, I'm like, it's got to go away again. And, and there is a curious, I understand why he's there, because there is a curious absence of him once you know he's supposed to be there, but you've turned him off and he's completely gone. <laughs> but I don't miss him anymore. <laughs> I just don't. He's gone. <laughs> But but mechanically, it is a really cool game. You are the story. It's all themed around you being a magician and you're the you've been trapped in a cursed mirror by a rival magician who's envious of your talent and uh, charm. And you have two lovely assistants that are trapped with you in the mirror. And at the start of each floor, you get access to their little booths, which, you know, represent permanent upgrades or unlocks of um, new power-ups. 
and uh, trinkets, which you can carry up to three at one time, and you can add one to your repertoire with each of the first three levels you complete, and they give you various buffs and effects and uh, resistances. And as with like Hades, you will get powers, and they can be assigned to face buttons. Uh, so at the start, you get a dash of some kind, an attack of some kind that's uh, of one type, and a what tends to be a more area effect or high power attack as a third option, hmm. usually with a status effect associated. And as you go along, you will get more of these cards. What's cool about the card system is that you can put these cards, and every card has a different primary function of an attack. Um, blue ones are always movement-oriented. Purple ones are more uh, physical attacks. And you'll get uh, yellow ones that have more status effect-oriented abilities it, tied in with whatever they do. And in your, as you hold your in your hand, so to speak, these cards can have their primary effects, but every card also has a secondary effect that can be applied to any of your other cards in a pairing. So, for example, uh, you get an attack that it works a bit like a shotgun blast that does poison. It's very short range. I don't find it that effective on its own. But if I instead pair it with one of the first attacks that it gives you in the game, which where you fan out five sets of five cards very rapidly, it adds a poison effect that stacks to every one of those cards. So every card that hits, you're adding a bunch of poison, and suddenly now you have dramatically improved the power of this effect. So all of these cards offer other buffs to powers that you can have in the first slot, and mixing and matching them in to, fight, to figure out what's going to you know give you better DPS or uh, what pairings of groups of pairs will work together. Like, I'm going to do a stun blast and then follow that up with an attack that has another stun card attached to it that does more damage while enemies are stunned. It's really neat. There's a lot of flexibility in it, and you can change them up at any time you want to within your hand, mixing and matching effects to suit whatever immediate purpose that you have. It's really, really fun. It's very fast. The art is cool. The writing is... Eh... And the delivery of that writing is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. But I think the game is really fun. I, I do think people should check it out. Um, it, it will probably play very well on your Switch. I think, if you, I think for people who liked playing Hades and want more yeah. of that gameplay... It had my curiosity. I don't know if I can sit through bad voice acting. You can turn it off. Yeah, I know, but then I'll feel like I'm missing something. You're not. <laughs> You're not. You're just not. But it does have individual um, dialogue, individual sliders for dialogue specifically as well, so you could actually just mute all the dialogue. Mm. But yeah, Dandy Aces, it's pretty good despite some, yeah, things that make it uh, not so great. It's great in spite of the bits of it that aren't. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it's it's really... Because I keep pulling up Hades, and I'm far enough along in it now that I already know what I'm going to do on any given run when I start it. And so a lot of the enthusiasm's lost to play. 
and I might do a run and then I'll set it down. I won't come back for weeks. And that's not how I tend to play roguelikes. This is giving, it's scratching the itch that I feel every time I open up Hades and want to play Hades without any of the content that makes Hades so special and would be missed. Mm-hmm. Right? Because this narrative is not that interesting, well-delivered, or particularly well-written as far as I'm concerned. But the gameplay's great. I'm I'm going to give this a go. I'm willing to, to put up with some potentially cringeworthy story and acting to get a bit more of that, that good Hades-esque gameplay. And it is one of those things, like, I, I hate to keep, you know, because I don't want to give an, you know, a clearly labor of love indie development project too hard a time for their voice acting because yeah. they went to the effort to voice act the entire thing. Mm-hmm. But they shouldn't have. Yeah. Yeah. I played some neat things uh, this week, some new things I hadn't played that are worth checking out, I think. Yeah. Um, I've put some hours into a game called Eastwood. Oh, that's another one I've been curious on. Yeah, I'm really digging Eastwood. It's mm-hmm. real good. So the basic premise is... You play as a pair of characters, they're not explicitly parent and child, but they might as well be um, living in underground mining community, mining for salt. There's a very community-driven feel, it's very much like, ah, we're all in this together in our terrible lot in life, and it brings some nice community out of the characters. The characters are all very positive and upbeat despite their circumstances, because like, ah, we're in it together, except for you, man in charge, who is the reason we're here, grumble grumble. And mechanically, it is kind of like a mix between a, the top-down 2D Zelda games and a little bit Earthbound, it feels, in places. Mm-hmm. So you've got a couple of different things going on with the with the gameplay. So there's dungeons to explore that feel like Zelda dungeons, maybe a little more geared towards combat and a little less puzzles, but that sort of feel. Your main adult character, this basically silent gruff man with a beard does a lot of combat and melee combat with a frying pan. He's great at doing combat directly in front of him, doing fatal blows very near him, very in front of him. Sucks the second that there is any kind of like, oh, there are things all around me or something that needs stunning before I can get to it. Play He plays really nicely. And you've got this little girl who does stunning and ranged attacks and basically AOEs, basically anything that he's lacking in the moveset is is on her. And you go do little Zelda-style dungeon adventures and have a lot of very Earthbound-esque interactions with charming villagers that are a big part of the joy of playing, is discovering all these little people in this community, and there's some really nice world-building and character writing around that. There's also a full-on just... There's a retro uh, top-down JRPG just in this game that you can go play within the game. Oh, just hanging out. <laughs> just hanging out. You can just go find, like, oh, hey, here's, here's just a Dragon Quest we made that you can go play a little Dragon Quest. Huh. The thing I want to hit home about this game is there is so much stuff in it, and all of it feels really high quality. Mm. None of it feels like, oh, you've sacrificed quality to put more things in this. Right, I want this. The art style? Absolutely gorgeous. Um... Really nicely detailed pixel art, good level of fluidity to the animations, with some very creative use of 
filters over that at certain points that I won't get into, but they're very good. Uh, soundtrack's really solid. Yeah, I need to play more of it, but the story's really fascinating. The top-down melee plus range combat is very satisfying. And I have no complaints about it so far. Like My, my closest right. to a complaint is... The start is a little bit slow, maybe. It's a little bit narratively focused for the first, like, half hour. But once you get, like, get moving, oh, it picks up real good. Yeah. I don't want to say much more about it, but Eastwood is really good, and I highly recommend checking it out. It's it's a very high-quality game that I keep being surprised by, like, the amount of stuff that is happening in it at that level of quality has been really nice to see. Yeah. So yeah, if if you like a good top-down Zelda-y thing, but maybe a bit more skewed to combat than uh, puzzles, this is fun. Have either of you played anything else this week? I've got a quick one. Oh? What what would that be, Steph? Oh, I think I know what that might be. Screambird, why'd you have to break my heart? Yeah, I know. <sighs> yeah. Skatebird, you had a bad enough time with that when you needed footage for it today, you were like... Laura, can you can you record footage? Because oh. I can't go back to it. I can't play it. Like I, I'm not good at skateboard games, and I thought, oh, this will be accessible, and I can't do it. Why is grinding up and down? Why mm. is grinding up and down? You see why I was saying last week. Like it feels like it should be an arcade game, not a sim game, and it feels like it's gone the wrong way on that spectrum. I was looking forward to some arcade skateboard fun, and instead I got some. Bad bird games. I don't. I can't do it, Laura. I can't. I don't know. I can't play it. See, here's the thing. I got all right at it last week before I gave up. I got functional at it, and then Steph was like, "Oh yeah, can you capture some footage?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll be fine." <laughs> all of my muscle memory is fucking gone. It's such an unintuitive control system that having not yeah. played it for a week, I was like, "Oh god, oh god, I'm oh no." The footage is terrible, but I don't think that's entirely my fault. The physics are bad. The gameplay has no incentive to continue it because it's just so interminably dull, objective-wise. It doesn't look very good. It doesn't play very good. I want it to be a good game. I want to live in a world where it's good. It was going to help me. It was going to help me like a video game. I'm lucky Deltarune came out. It, it salved some of it. Yeah, you needed a video game that was alright. <laughs> yeah, but I am heartbroken that Skatebird is so, so shit. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, it's shit. I can't disagree. Yeah, I don't remember the last time I was this disappointed by a game. Yeah. And that's a real shame. I stuck with it, I tried messing around with the accessibility settings, seeing if turning on some of, like, auto this or auto that would in any way give me a better time. Nah, still not uh-uh. working. There is no more skatebirds. Not for us. <sighs> I'll I'll quickly do the last one I've been playing. I started playing a little game called Toem. Oh, that God, y'all are playing games that have caught my eye but I've not bitten off on. Unlike last week where I was, you know, breaking the news to you that everything you like is bad, this week the things you're excited about are good. I'm certainly intrigued. Yeah. To, uh, for anyone who's not seen it, Toem is... A little game about being a little a little black and white uh, drawn character going on a little photography adventure to eventually climb up a mountain and basically see the Aurora Borealis. But the way that the game is set up is in order to get 
your bus ticket to move on to the next town. You have to go interact with the little villages in each area you go to. And they just have little photography quests that they would like done of go find a photo of such and such and take it back. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do every objective in a zone to move on. There is more than enough stuff to pick and choose the things that you would like to do, which I think has really helped. There is no time pressure. There is no... There's no pressure of any kind, really. It is a very laid back. These are the things that the, the missions you've been given. Just have a nice wander around, try and do some little photo exploring, take some nice pictures. The soundtrack is great. Uh, as you go through the game, you unlock music that you can play as you wish uh, through your little cassette player, and you can just sort of cycle the tracks you're enjoying. All the characters are very, very charmingly written. They're all very endearing. I really like the the world it's set in, and the camera mechanics feel correct, which is always a big thing with these kind of games. Nice. If you're looking for, for just a nice, chill, wholesome adventure with a photo camera, this is really nice. I'm having a great time with it. It's what I needed. It's a video game that is just good without caveats. It's very nice. Good. Yeah, Toem's a good one, too. Should we get on with news, then? Let's do some news, why don't we? We got some news. Where should we start? So, there's some more Activision Blizzard uh, sexual harassment and discrimination news this week. Mm Mm-hmm. The EEOC over in the United States launched a lawsuit against Activision Blizzard, making claims of sexual harassment and discrimination. You might not have heard that this lawsuit was filed, because in less than 24 hours, it had been settled for $18 million to make a compensate and make amends fund. It's an absurd pittance to them. It's a tenth of Bobby Kotick's last year's salary. Like, it's barely a tenth of his salary from last year. Which is incredibly distinct from his wealth. Yes. I mean, it soon becomes part of it. Yeah, so this being settled doesn't impact, like, the big California uh, lawsuit that's been going on. Well, it, I mean... That's I don't know that that's it, I think it will have an impact. Um, you know, like I think that's why they settled it as quickly as they did. It doesn't prevent that lawsuit from going ahead. No. Like it doesn't. No. That lawsuit still exists. Yes, but I think when the feds come knocking, they're much quicker to respond. And and why wouldn't they be? They've got you know uh, I, I'm sure they've got much bigger contracts with the federal government specifically the Department of Defense, that they would want to maintain a good relationship with than, you know, the state of California. Yeah. Yeah. So this got very quickly settled for $18 million. And there's a few important things of this story to note. First of all, in a legal filing, Activision is denying all allegations of wrongdoing and says that it's settling to avoid distractions, expenses and possible litigation. They haven't proven that they didn't do anything. They've just gone, we're, we're going to pay 18 million. Yeah. Just because it would be distracting not to. It'd be a distraction to not pay 18 million. Yeah, it's so classic. It's heart numbing. Like, they're just acting how any corporation acts when it's been caught being the worst. We're paying an $18 million settlement, but definitely didn't do anything wrong. Don't take that as us having done anything. Oh, but that's okay. There's a quote from Kodak in the press release. He says, I'm sorry that anyone had to experience inappropriate conduct. Well, maybe they didn't have to, Bobby. Yeah. Yeah. And why would, and, 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 and if perhaps they didn't have to, why would that have been? 
Why was it that they were in a position that they had to do that? That is the whole crux of the thing, huh? Yeah, so that's... that's that story, but my gut feeling, and correct me if you disagree, either of you, my gut says that they probably settled this because they're worried of what it would have the feds would have dug up. Oh, yeah. Because the, the feds have the power to dig dig a lot of shit up. And I think that probably tells us there is shit that the California investigation could find. I mean, I don't think it's strictly that. I think also a a federal investigation is a lot harder to control the media narrative around than, say, this incident that's going on in California right now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's more. But you're, I, I don't disagree that they don't want the feds digging around in their dirt. Yeah. Uh, so that's that story. Interesting story I wouldn't have anticipated. You know, Netflix has been talking for a while about how they want to get into having games on their subscription service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know Oxenfree was a really good indie game? I do remember that. I remember Oxenfree a bit. Yeah, and there's Oxenfree 2 is the thing that's coming out at some point in the in the future. Netflix has bought the developer of Oxenfree oh. as one of their studios to make games for Netflix. Huh. And that's kind of fascinating. Like, I I really hope that doesn't, you know, squash that studio's ability to make good things they want to make, but that is not the kind of acquisition I would have guessed, and it sounds like a positive thing. I'm intrigued to see what that studio can do with Netflix money behind them. Well, and when I look at, well, not just Netflix money, Netflix intellectual property. Yeah. You know, as, as we look here at... Uh... You know, I'm looking at the article um, on Eurogamer talking about this, and it's listing off the prior projects that they'd released. A Mr. Robot tie-in? Okay, that makes total sense. You know, you, they were at one point developing a Stranger Things project with Telltale. So, yeah, I I can absolutely see this as being a good fit for Netflix. Yeah. They're a talented development studio. I'm sure they didn't have to pay an arm and a leg for it. No, and this hopefully gives this developer some financial stability and some free reign to do some cool stuff with some properties. Now, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll yeah. see. Netflix, uh, it, there are worse companies to work for than Netflix. Yeah, but Netflix is also kind of notorious for, oh, this thing's doing really well, we're going to just kill it off after season two. Well, not... Not in, even merely from the consumer perspective, but there, I mean, like, look, there are legal and tax reasons why they do so much business in Atlanta, why so much of their project work is developed in Atlanta. Same for a lot of entertainment. Now, yes, yeah. And, and that's, so just keep that in mind. They are business like anybody else. They are going to bottom line, um, a lot of things. And hopefully they get at uh, night school. The freedom that they want from this and not too much of the uh, mucking about. Yeah, time will tell. But we will probably get a one or two really great games out of it. Yeah, and it's, it's, a, it's a very strong move on Netflix's part to say we're taking having games on our service seriously. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. If they're stepping into development and publishing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... Everybody's been saying, where's the Netflix of video games for a long time? And now Xbox Game Pass, I think, has successfully implemented that strategy. So Netflix is a 
bit late getting here. Yeah, but I mean, if they're just looking to do a value add to what they're currently offering, yeah, you could do worse than adding this to your service. Absolutely, and now I don't, I'd be curious to know, it could be that Netflix winds up being, well, yeah, I don't know who's going to be more attracted to a Netflix platform gaming. I could see it being a decent place for indies to go now that we're seeing the whittling of uh, funds draining out of the other uh, platforms as they transition to pay to play. Um, maybe Netflix will have a more attractive offer or better terms for pay to play. Or I should say pay for play. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we, we got the fucking cast. You know how Illumination's <laughs> making a Mario film? <laughs> I tell you what. I tell you what, right? This news is real. Everyone, this news is real, what you're about to hear. Yeah, it, it really, it really is, um, it really is real news, huh? Okay. Now, I, I only know of the one main casting of the, the casting of Mario. So this is going to be, I get to experience now hearing all of this for the first time. Okay. So we'll talk about the Mario casting and then we'll talk about everything else afterwards. So Chris Pratt has been cast as Mario and amazing. Amazing. Perfect casting. Hey, this is a great time to remind everyone that Chris Pratt is like a very, 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 very fundamentalist Christian right-wing person. He donates a lot of money to a notoriously homophobic megachurch, and while he insists that he is not homophobic himself, he does follow a lot of incredibly prominent anti-gay rights people on Instagram. He also follows people like Turning Point USA. Basically all of that ilk of, like, alt-right circles. He's following all of the people, like the Ben Shapiro's, he's following all the people where I'm like, I don't trust you to not be homophobic when this is your circle. So just as a reminder to everyone, Chris Pratt's not a great person to support. I wouldn't let him anywhere near me. Yeah, yeah. I just say, get get that away from me. Get that Chris Pratt away from me. And I'll really emphasize the word Pratt as well. It, it really, truly, it, it's, I would expect nothing, nothing less from this studio. The, the 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 minions people than to cast Chris Pratt. It is perfect. I, I when I look at Mario and I think of minions, <laughs> I go to Chris Pratt. Okay, so with that out the way, we're going to talk about the rest of the cast. Some of them I can see why they've cast them, and I don't think they're the worst choices in the world. Some of them I think genuinely make sense. So. If any, did either of you watch The Queen's Gambit? No. Uh, I have been told repeatedly that I, I need to, but, like, I don't want to watch somebody else function well on drugs. That's my job. <laughs> so, Anya Taylor-Joy, who was the main person in The Queen's Gambit, is playing Princess Peach. I don't have any strong feelings on that either way. No. Charlie Day is going to be playing Luigi, <laughs> which I genuinely think is a masterstroke of casting. Yeah, I'm all right with that. I want to. Yeah, that's a take I I want. I I want I want to hear Charlie Day's take on Luigi. Yeah, because like I'm like, oh yeah, no, um, bumbling, bumbling idiot that like is the laughing stock of scenes. Yeah, no, that that is what Charlie Day is known for playing. It's within his wheelhouse. Yeah, that's one of those ones where I was like, I was surprised, and the more I think about it, the more I'm like, that's actually really good. 
we'll get this one out of the way. Seth Rogen's playing Donkey Kong. <laughs> Great. Great. Yeah. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I might as well call him Donkey Bong, am I right? Because <laughs> Seth Rogen smokes the weed for 20 places. I feel like there's only one direction they can take that, and sure, I guess. Jack Black is playing Bowser. Uh, you know what? I never complain about a Jack Black casting anywhere. That one's exquisite, though. I genuinely think that's a really good casting choice, because yep. I keep picturing, like, here's the scene I've constructed out of nowhere in my head that I think Jack Black would be really good at Bowser in. Just picture Bowser's being, like, oh, big, big, booming, scary. Jack Black can do that. And then Mario leaves... Bowser undoes his tie and starts going, oh my god, can he just fucking go away and stop hassling me? I keep picturing, like, Yoshi has invited Bowser to go go karting, and everyone fucking hates that he's there. Jack Black could do that. Like, that kind of, like, bumbling side of Bowser, that could be really good. That could be a really good take. I'm so curious, too, to see... I want to read a script, right? Yeah, I want to know what the the scenes and and direction of the plot goes that you are going to use the talents of Jack Black effectively, because I can see him doing some fantastic scenes trying to woo Peach. Yeah, I, I can see him playing the like, oh, no, I'm having to look after my eight disaster children. Like, I, I could see him doing some of that stuff well if he's not just played as a straight man villain. Oh, you need the kids. Oh, God, please. You need the Cooper kids. Yeah, he needs to be just an exhausted middle-aged dad of a Bowser. <laughs> Before we get onto the, the other little bits of casting, I think the biggest mistake they did was not having at least a teaser trailer for tone and voices go right after this reveal. Because, like... Yeah. I think that, like... So many of these baffling or weird out-of-left-field choices, with a little bit of context, you could have really sold people. If they had released a behind-the-scenes video showing half of these people just doing one, one or two solid lines um, in the recording studio, I think a ton of fear would have been allayed immediately. Yeah. Because I don't think any of this is actually bad, other than the fact that Chris Pratt is making money. Yeah, Chris Pratt making money is bad, and like, I have real... I don't even think he's necessarily a terrible Mario voice. Like, who the fuck cares? He's Mario. Dude's a blank slate. Seth Rogen's... Uh, he's had some problems, but like, I don't hate a lot of these on a casting level. I mean, like, we all know for a fact that the best Super Mario Brothers movie has ever been made, and it's called Super Mario Brothers, the movie. Yeah. yeah. You're not getting better casting than that. You're not getting better than Dennis Hopper. So I don't care how this goes. I'm going to, like, I think it's hilarious. The only other bit of, like, hilarious casting... Conrad, are you aware of Keegan-Michael Key? Oh, I'm very familiar with Keegan-Michael Key. Yeah. Okay, if you were going to cast him in a Mario movie, what role would you give him? Take a wild guess who he's been cast as. Hmm. All right, who have we established as already being played? Mario, Luigi, Peach, Bowser, Donkey Kong. That's who I've established for you. All right, so Keegan-Michael Key would play a phenomenal Birdo. But, mm. but, mm. I think he's cast as Toad. You fucking got it nailed on the head. He's playing Toad. Mm -hmm. I can see it. Absolutely. That dude can do panic. Yeah. He can do panic and he can do voices. And mm -hmm. panic and voices, he can do that well. Yeah. 
Yeah, so other than that, there's like Fred Armisen is can- Cranky Kong. Um, yeah, right. Like, yeah, there's a, there's a few other things. But th- I think you could get a crankier Kong than Fred Armisen, but all right. Yeah, but like that's that's the main ones. I like Charlie Day, Jack Black, Keegan Michael Key. I'm like, yeah, those three. I think you actually kind of fucking nailed them. Maybe. Yeah, I, yeah. This sounds like it could be good i don't know if it's gonna be i don't know if it's gonna be good yeah no i'm like but but previous to this point my thought process was this does not sound like it could be good with this cast as ridiculous as it sounds on paper i think it could actually be good here's the thing i i don't have faith in illumination as a studio but some of these are on point enough choices that i'm like I feel like you've got an actual plan in mind. And I also believe that Nintendo is not going to allow this to go the way of Super Mario Brothers, the movie, which, I mean, I love deeply. But I also think that there were a lot, well, there were a lot of interference problems and organizational problems and just problems with that production that they're not going to see repeat here. Yeah. I'm so curious what the direction for this is because Nintendo has got to be so like this has to be uh, has to be good. Yeah, they have to be seriously involved. If Nintendo thinks that they can do this and not have any risk of it being bad, I'll give this weird as fuck thing a chance maybe. They made the announcement with a straight face, so I assume they think it's going to be decent. Yeah. So that's coming out at the end of next year, and I am morbidly fascinated. Yeah, I'll watch it. Yeah. I hope it's shit. I <sighs> Because it, that would entertain me. I like shit films. It would entertain me, too. Yeah, uh, like, enjoyably shit. Like, yeah. I don't want it to just... I don't want people to have a shit time, although a lot of people would. I want it to be the level of bad where Seth Rogen Donkey Kong is literally smoking from a bong. Yes, Movie of the year. Well, I don't think I don't think you're gonna get that. No, 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 no. He's gonna be he's gonna be putting his mouth on the end of a banana and doing his Seth Rogen laugh. I mean, I know what they should do. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Where's Jonathan in this cast? Where's yeah? Where's Jonathan Holmes? <gasps> Jonathan can play Yoshi. There we go. Right? Yeah. Why isn't he Yoshi as a hard-nosed detective? On Coke. <laughs> uh, quickly, before we finish up, we do have two other news stories quickly that are about Twitch. Uh-huh. Uh, we'll get through them nice and quick. Thanks to some leaks from some people who are testing stuff, it seems like we have a sense of what Twitch is planning to do as its first attempt to curb hate raids on the platform. So, uh, I'll summarise what's here. It, it would help. The, if these get rolled out to people, they will help but they do not fix the entire problem. They will give people who run streams the ability to require that people in chat have to have a verified email, or certain people in chat need a verified email, like first-time chatters, or people who are followed for less than a week, or uh, things like that. Phone verification, they have similar levels of everyone needs phone verification to chat in my channel. Some people, which yes or no, do you put exemptions for subs, moderators, VIPs to these rules? I mean, these are helpful tools and will help, but they don't address the key problem, which is that currently Twitch allows you to make hundreds and hundreds of accounts at once, and crucially as a problem, 
it allows you to verify all of these accounts via a single email address. That is a huge security problem, and like, the whole bit here that says all chatters must have a verified email address, that doesn't help at all, because right now everyone can just have a single email address, they they verify all their bots through. Just think, you can do all of that, but you can't reclaim your username that was set up on Justin TV before it ever became Twitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other problem with these suggestions, and this is something I hope Twitch look at if they're gonna bring all of this in, is that there are no controls here over f- following. Mm. Um, and requiring a verified email or phone number to follow an account, which means that you can still do things like um, follow bots. You can go, oh, someone's got follow notifications on, I will follow them from a thousand different accounts that have slurs in the title to spam up their feed, or... Like, there are things you can still do, even if you have this set to, has to have verified phone, verified email, do everything you can, there would still be avenues of of attack that this doesn't address. And it's a real shame because people have been telling Twitch, like Twitch does not have a lack of information about what the problems are and what needs fixing. And this is going to be a band-aid. It's not going to be the fix. Yeah. But I hope they implement it. It's, it would go some way to helping. And Comrade, do you want to talk about the last Twitch story we got? Yeah, a little bit. So this week, Twitch, well, I guess last week or two weeks ago, sometime in the very recent past, they made some adjustments to how they handle DMCA claims. And we didn't bother talking about it. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it really, it doesn't do anything that helps creators in any way, shape, or form deal with DMCAs. Just sort of streamlined the process for people making claims. Well, I mean, part, part of it was you would get warnings as a as a streamer rather than just getting that's true. Co- yeah, content blocked straight away. That's true. The punishments were reduced. So that's nice. Yeah. You had a chance to fix your content before it became a permanent strike. And, you know, maybe a, a very cynical person might think that that sort of thing is to reduce instances of people who might legitimately be releasing music that a content ID style system picks up and applies a claim to. And the reason I bring this up is because uh, Warner Music announced a partnership with Twitch this week, mm-hmm. which is going to see them getting a, a on-ramp for muse their musical acts to now be on the platform they're going to get better tools they're going to have major label artists with you know uh accounts streaming live music on the platform and the reason that this is significant is that while it's possible that this is going to draw a large large influx of new users to Twitch it is the first Real nail in the coffin, I think, for Twitch as a creator-led platform. Yeah. Very quickly, any... I think we're going to see a lot more of Twitch's homepage being populated by this type of content. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the the very advertiser-friendly sponsors um, deals with the big... Yeah. I think we will see a reduction in um, accessibility of newly created tools for both partners and affiliates. Um, but affiliates, I mm-hmm. think, are, are absolutely going to miss out on a lot of anything that improves. And I think it's going to be much, 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 much harder for people who are trying to enter the ecosystem at this point 
point going forward. Welcome to YouTube.com. That's what I'm saying. Yes, yeah, uh, it has become YouTube, or it will be YouTube. It all goes there. Yes. So it's it's not great, and and uh, a portent of things to come. I don't I don't know if there's going to be another platform to come up either. In the in the past, you know, we, YouTube came along, and then we could jump ship to. Twitch, I don't know that there's going to be somewhere to go from here. I mean, I don't know for certain, but I will say there's a lot of Twitch competitors that have been really ramping up their presence and their server capabilities and their features since the hate raids started happening, going, if this platform goes south, we want to try and be available to be somewhere to jump ship to. Yeah. And I think that Competition trying to rise up and and be ready to catch that audience isn't going to stop anytime soon. Stuff like this is just going to push more people to look out for what alternatives are around. Yeah, but at this point, I don't see a clear competitor, like one out that's rising out of the pack that's going to be the place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Scary times. Indeed. That's everything for this week, I think. I think we did it. Yeah, scary times. Scary times. That's the way to end it. Well, uh, there's, there's, there's some positive news, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, our PS4s aren't gonna die. Oh, yeah. Oh, they fixed a thing. Previously, if you watch battery and your PS4 died, your PS4 was just gonna be dead forever. Right. But well, they fixed it, so now if your watch battery dies, your PlayStation won't just be a brick sitting useless forever. Then we've ended the podcast on, on a high note, yeah. Good terms. Yeah. 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 yeah, so Laura. Me. People are now giddy with joy <laughs> and they need to expend that energy with yet more media. And I believe you've got them covered. I mean, yeah, there's Laura K. Buzz on all the places, but the most important thing is, hey, go check out and maybe pre-order Who Hunts the Whale, which you can go pre-order on Unbound right now. I wrote it with my lovely wife. It's about the video game industry and how terrible corporate CEOs are the, the, the fucking worst. Fun fact, the cover design we have for that book... There is a distinct lack of um of ways to get between where the developers are and where the money is upstairs. There's you know there's stairs and there's a ladder. There's just nothing to get. It's almost like it's there's some inherent barrier that would stop average people in the company rising up to where the money is. Maybe go read a book about that. It's called Who Wants the Whale. Go go get one. I do podcasts. One of them's Dice Funk. Comrade was on it once. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Conrad Zimmerman. Uh, you could uh, buy anti-capitalist propaganda that I make at pinfultruth.com or at thegymporium.com. And there's new stuff coming. Uh, uh -huh. So that will be fun for you. You could also buy audiobooks that I make at conradreads.com or hang out with me on Twitch uh, three, four days a week, twitch.tv slash that Conrad Zimmerman. I, I do play a lot of roguelikes, but I play other stuff too. And everything that I do gets supported by Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? Who? It's James Stephanie Sterling. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God. Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, patreon.com slash jimquisition. Uh, that's the Patreon that fuels things like this very podcast. Um, there's Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling for Twitch when I do it. Um, I'm getting back into it after my holidays. 
Uh, and as Conrad mentioned, the gymporium.com is where you can get Gymquisition flavored things and uh, anti capitalist propaganda and stuff like gay stuff. Very gay stuff. Very gay stuff. More gay stuff coming. Yeah, we'll have some more gay stuff. Don't you worry about it, me old mugger. Uh, that's it. Uh, thank you very much for listening, as always, and we will see you next time. Bye. 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 Hi everyone, my name's Laura Kate Dale, and myself and my wife Jane Eris Magnet are writing a book called Who Hunts the Whale. It's a satirical novel set in the entirely fictional world of an exploitative, big-budget video game development studio. Here's a little excerpt, here's just a little taste of what the book is going to be like. January 3rd. It's early January, and I'm starting my new job as a personal assistant for the executive team at Supremacy Software, my all-time favourite video game developer. I grew up playing their annual video game releases, dreaming of the day that I could in some small way be a part of helping bring their video games into the world. According to the laminated job bible I was handed when I got to the office today, I'm to take extensive notes on executive meetings, and to always ensure that the drinks order chart is kept up to date. Hell of a first day greeting! Welcome aboard, here's your little office. Read the manual, don't mess up, don't ask questions. Luckily, the manual is incredibly thorough. There's even a section for what to do if there are bodily fluids on the boardroom carpet. The reason for which I do not wish to have clarified. All that aside, I'm finally starting my dream job. Ever since I was little, playing games on a console that my aunt donated when she got an upgrade, I've loved Supremacy Software games. Back then, they were just cupboard software, but they're the best, and they acquire the best, which means that I've been deemed good enough to be amongst the best. I'm not a coder, I'm not an artist or a musician, but I am now part of the great Supremacy family. I'm a part of the family that gets to make the games I love, right there in the boardroom where the big decisions get made. I love games. Games are my life. I don't just play, I watch documentaries, I devour news articles, I follow the industry. I've even snuck into press events to get a sneak peek at the next big releases. It's amazing where you can get into with a high visibility jacket, a homemade lanyard ID, a clipboard and a confident stride. It's not enough though. I want to see the whole thing up close, and right here I can do just that. I can see everything, warts and all. The dead ends, the exciting ideas, the process that goes into creating these huge and wonderfully immersive worlds. I have a feeling I'm going to like it here. Meeting Minutes, January 3rd. Drinks orders for the board. Edwin, green power juice. Rick, four shot latte. Chad, three-shot latte. I've heard about Edwin. He's been here for a long time. Came in from an old electronics company that made home computer kits that you had to solder yourself back in the 80s. Apparently he took over the company from his father and has basically just sat on the board here until everyone else has left and died. Talk about last man standing. He's only in his mid-forties, but all that sunshine and golf has really made the guy look like wealthy jerky in a suit that cost more than my university tuition. His power juice smells disgusting, and I genuinely can't imagine trying to put that stuff in my mouth. Rick and Chad could be twins, apart from their hair. Add Google company names to check which was which. 
I just need to remember that Rick has brown hair and Chad is the blonde. The similarity is uncanny though. Two thirty-something gamer boys who made it to the top of the heap, to the seat of power. When they talk, they almost blend together. A whirlwind of high-power enthusiasm, go-getting, and confidence. They also wear expensive suits, but paired with t-shirts. I love that look. Professional, but you know it's for a more interesting industry than the stiffs in button-down collars. When I handed out the coffees, Chad seemed to bristle a little as I said what everyone had. He's changed his order for tomorrow to a five-shot latte. Note to self, update the drinks order chart. Edwin sits quietly at one end of the table. It looks like he's about ready to nap at the desk, although his eyes seem to sparkle a little bit when huge dollar figures start being run out, and there's the faintest flicker of a smile. He seems less interested in being a part of the meeting than just physically being present. Maybe he's just not a numbers guy, I'm sure he's not just being paid to do nothing here, and hell, at this point he probably doesn't even need to worry about the figures, just making the big decisions about where to steer this ship next. Looking through the figures for the last quarter, which are huge, I've never even thought about this much money before, was regularly punctuated with in unison cries of Nice! nice. And the odd high five. I couldn't really tell what all the paperwork meant, but there was a lot of graphs showing massive growth and huge numbers of dollars, each more immense than the last. Either way, Chad was happy to see numbers go up, with Rick chiming in that exponential growth is the only kind of growth that matters. He told me to write that down. Very important. I've not seen three boys act like that around paperwork since that time my cousins and I found a dirty magazine in the woods while we were out riding our bikes. Chuckling and cheering and looking so darn pleased with themselves. At this point in the meeting, the topic of conversation moved on to bonuses. No discussion was had of overall staff bonuses for the bulk of the development team. I'm guessing that must have happened before Christmas, after the last game shipped. Waiting for the New Year's financial results to sort their own bonuses rather than taking them when the rest of the staff did? Classy move. Apparently last year they... Settle for five mil each? But since... Numbers did go up. Chad was proposing a double. The next few minutes were like watching a bizarre auction where they tried to outbid each other for their own worth, batting numbers around that I've never even dreamed about before. At last they agreed on $15 million each, because... Executive bonuses suggest company health. $15 million. $15 million each. If that's what they were looking at up top, who knows what I'll be in line for next year. Heck, even 1% of that would be life-changing. See, this is the really pumping action inside game development that you don't get to see in the documentaries or the news articles. The only figures they really cover up there are when X is the biggest selling game of the year, Y is the fastest selling game of all time. I suppose people say it's rude to talk about pay? My dad always used to say that anyway. Note to self, ask the dev team how much they got paid last year in bonuses. It's got to be pretty staggering, after all, they did do all the hard work. Next item, Chad raised the question about what we should be working on this year. This is the good bit. The bit I've been waiting for. 
I'm going to know what's happening before any other human on the planet. Ah, not not even the jerks on the forums will know before me. No. My uncle works at Supremacy Software and he says... I know first, and more importantly, know accurately. In your face XX stabby cat 42069XX, your snide gatekeeping has no more power over me. Wait, I've not been paying attention to them. Poop. Um... Edwin said that as the numbers are still up, this year's focus will be on another first-person shooter, which he called the Shooty Bang Bang Games. Honestly, you'd think that after working here for most of his adult life, he'd have picked up on some of the terminology. There was brief consideration of a Vietnam shooter, since it's probably long enough ago now that nobody will think too critically about it. Apparently, they want to avoid doing what our rivals did by dredging up and rebuilding that Five Days in Kuwait game. That did not sit well with the press or the survivors of that particular atrocity, even after they added some interviews with a couple of people who lived through it. Eventually they settled on a modern, fictional setting, so as to avoid any offence to anyone. That said, it is set in a largely desert nation known for rich oil fields and a non-white population. Uh... Rick floated the idea of a single-player campaign, which I was really excited about, because much as I love gaming... Gamers, TM, aren't always the best people to play with. I can only hear so many times about an angry, caffeinated 12-year-old's claimed exploits with my mother. Chad pointed out some figures he had from a focus test that claims that the average gamer checks their Twitter account every seven minutes. Therefore, not only are multiplayer matches to be limited to six minutes, but the solo campaign as a whole will be under seven minutes long. To say I was disappointed was an understatement. I knew the last few years Supremacy Software had shifted ever more towards multiplayer-focused titles, but I always assumed it was some kind of complicated decision based on player feedback. To see the decision to not include a single-player campaign, or to include a very tiny one, and to not try something new, so clearly boiled down to a thoughtless passing mention was a real letdown. I always sort of knew video game companies existed first and foremost to make a profit, but the fact that nobody in the boardroom was concerned with what would make the best end product from our player perspective was a bit of a wake-up call. The rest of the meeting was a bit of a blur. There was a PowerPoint being shown with graphs about player retention and user spending conversion, and before I knew it, things were wrapping up. Lots of figures that completely flew by me. They seemed happy, though. End of meeting. Minutes to be typed, printed, and filed. The amount of hard copy in this office is frankly surprising for a company that's so outwardly incredibly modern. Chad has requested that I head down to HR and sit in on some of the interviews for new development staff this afternoon. Apparently he's off for a game of squash after lunch, but wants someone from the top keeping an eye on things. Keep them on their toes. It wasn't until I was back in my little office that I realised that not one person asked me my name or even, for the most part, acknowledged my existence. Still, they're very busy. Lots of figures to consider, and big decisions to make. As the job bible says, I'm there to help, not get involved. My first meeting with the executives hadn't gone great, but honestly, I wasn't too worried. It was probably just New Year routine. I was sure, at the very least, that walking through the development hall would get me back on track and energised. These guys were the people actually making the games. If 
anyone here was going to be passionate about game development, it was going to be them. Lunch. I went to the canteen, and boy, that place is fancy. Like, obscene fancy. I got a slice of banana bread, but that's basically my lunch budget for the week gone. It's sandwiches from home for me for a while, at least until I get my bonus next year. PM. Interviews. I had to walk through the development floor to get to HR, and the place was deserted. Like, whole floor looked abandoned. Less than half of the lights were on, and I could hear the sound of crickets chirping, and... And a freaking wolf! I must have squeaked in shock, because the janitor, Clark, started chuckling. Apparently he just listens to sounds of nature while he's working. I asked where all the dev staff were, and he told me they all got let go after the last game wrapped up. He says they do it every year. As soon as the new game is released, the old team departs, and a fresh-faced team comes along to fill things out come the new cycle. The only permanent fixtures of development in the building are Candice and Jeanette, who are the mobile gaming department. I'm sure I'll meet them soon enough. Honestly, I'm pretty shocked. Supremacy Software is always swallowing up smaller dev studios. I assumed it was because they were picking up the best talent from those companies and adding them into the great Supremacy Software family. Right now, that family is just myself, three uncles in suits, and the guy hired to clear the floors, as far as I can tell. Where does all that talent go? Still, Clark tells me this floor will be Bustling with energy drink-fueled university graduates by the end of the week. It wasn't until then that I noticed a soda machine every 30 feet along the walls of this floor. I guess developers are a breed unto themselves. Trying not to think too much about the staff who presumably left us not long ago, I usher myself over to the HR office where I am met by Hannah. Her office is a little more grand than mine. For a start, it has a window. And hanging on the wall behind her desk is an old-looking hockey stick that looks to have been revarnished at some point. Apparently she was captain of her college team. Go Royals, apparently. Just like at my interview, I have to avoid accidentally calling her Karen as she has the sharpest short bob I've ever seen. We headed over to the interview room, where candidate after candidate was marched through to be processed, as if on a conveyor. Resumes were scanned as Hannah loudly clicked her tongue, Portfolios presented in a rush in their five-minute time slots. Set questions were asked, each given a mark out of ten, and finally the hopefuls were passed on to the next area, where they'd be sat in a room with a computer to complete a skill test. For Hannah, it all seemed very much a process to be followed with a stony poker face. I was really enjoying a glimpse of what I'd been hoping to see all day. People excited about the art of making games. Their portfolios were full of indie games, game jam prototypes, design sheets, concept art, stunning backgrounds, sprite sheets for pixel art games. These kids reminded me of how I'd felt just this morning, optimistic about getting to be a part of making things they love. They were desperate for their break into the industry and ready to commit themselves wholeheartedly to making the best video games they could. Coders came through talking about how they turned down corporate web development jobs with much higher paychecks to follow the dream of doing something they really loved as a career. Incredible 3D artists spoke of walking away from movie studios for their shot here with us. A few showed off tattoos I recognised from some of the company's biggest titles of yesteryear. It was a parade of youngsters eager to be part of the magic, part of the family. However, 
There's one interview that stood out to me above all the others. It was late in the day. Hannah was clearly a bit done with the whole process, ready to head home and unwind from this intense parade. A young woman came in, determination on her face rather than excitement. She laid out her resume. Years of experience across multiple studios and a track record of solid results. I've played a good chunk of these games myself. Before HR can so much as suggest a starting salary, she chimes in. I know your starting salary is below industry standards. Here's what you should be paying a new starter, much less someone with my experience in the industry. Bold. Hannah responds. That's not what we pay here. Don't you want to be part of making the greatest games in the world? Not if you don't plan to play me properly. If you really lived games, you'd be willing to work based on your own passion. We don't want anyone who's just here for a paycheck. Tell that to the CEOs. I bet they're not working for minimum wage for the love of games. Honestly, I was feeling massive respect for this woman. She knows what she's worth and ready to demand it. Our head of HR, however, was clearly not as old as I was, since she just responded that we're not hiring for CEOs. And that excitable kids have been banging down our door for a chance to be part of our family. Which certainly seems to have been the case. With that, the interviewee thanked us, stood up, and left. Head held high. I think that woman's my new hero. I've never seen such confidence in the face of a decent paycheck. Very few others even mentioned money. They were mostly just excited to be in the building. One especially so. He had no qualifications, nothing in his portfolio, just a clean shirt and a tie with a sigil of seven pattern from the game Ex Diabolica. He just kept saying how he'd be happy with any role as long as he could be part of the team making his favourite titles. His enthusiasm certainly was contagious. Well, not to Hannah. She sat as impassive as always, just reading out the set of questions and marking a score. Though, I noticed he wasn't passed through to sit the exam part of the interview. I saw a lot of excited faces today. Lots of young people eager to live the dream. To be part of the family. I really hope to see them on the development floor soon. This place could do with that level of enthusiasm about the games, rather than just the bonuses. Who Hunts the Whale is available now to pre-order on Unbound. You can pick up a signed copy of the book, an ebook copy, a Skype call with me and my wife who have written the book together, or a bunch of promotional tat related to the fictional video game studio. If you search Who Hunts the Whale and Unbound, you will find the book, uh, you can even get signed copies of my old books bundled in with signed copies of this new book. Thank you for taking some time to pay a little bit of attention to the thing I'm working on.